Thanks as always for listening. In this episode, Chris and I, I don't know if we'd say discuss, talk about, chat about, whatever, kind of free-ranging uh, talk about Curse of Strahd. Uh, he is almost finished running it. I ran it in the past. If you listen to our episode about using uh, pre-made versus um, homebrew adventures and also our episode on running investigations, those ideas will feed into this, um, this chat. And if you haven't listened to those, you should go listen to those after you listen to this. Thanks for listening to Fluff and Crunch, where we talk about the connection and sometimes disconnect between system, setting, and story in tabletop RPGs. So we talked a little bit about, as we've been talking here before we started recording, a little bit about your, your gaming for the last week. So let's make sure that we, we get that covered for people. What Did you end up playing? I did. Uh, I did Chris actually. Strahd? I have actually played Strahd, which means I think I managed two games in two weeks. Shocking. And if, I imagine, imagine, if I manage another one this week, that'll be three in three weeks, which will be about as many as we've managed in the previous three months. So how about you? We ran another session of Knights Black Agents using 2D20 and uh, the more refined alpha version of the rules that uh, that you and I talked about. I talked to some of my players about, and then uh, I know you and I just talked here a moment ago about doing another episode as a follow-up because I'm going to run another session of that this weekend, and then we're going to we're going to shelve that for a couple of weeks to to deliberately play something else for a little bit while I get everything rules wise formalized and do the massive excuse me the massive amount of background reading that I need to do the basically the GM's guide for the Dracula dossier and then I need to finish reading the Dracula dossier the unredacted Dracula which I'm about one fifth the way through it's almost five hundred pages yeah it's very small font which is not even with my glasses is um trying Ugh. but it was good we, we had a good session so we'll, we're gonna like i said we're gonna do that again this weekend we're gonna take a week off and then we're gonna spend probably maybe three or four weeks playing pathfinder second edition which i'm i'm going to i'm gonna i'm gonna continually remind myself that that it's okay to have levels sometimes i'm gonna, I'm gonna do it that. is okay to have like if le- it's, you know it's there's there's that particular kind of yeah gaming where you are you are gaming, you are playing because you want more treasure and you want to level up because leveling up gets you cool abilities that lets you then beat up bigger monsters. And it's a never ending, well, it's not never ending because then you hit level 20, you can't do it anymore. But you know, that, there's that thing. There's a, that's the, that's a play style. It's like this, um, yeah, it's like this strange, uh, like analog for, uh, for like mindless consumerism. Like I will continue to consume yeah, yeah. so that I can continue to consume. What's your purpose to consume? It is. It's, it's like, you know, <laughs> the funny thing is that a lot of computer games kind of work that way that, you know, you level up so that you get new abilities or do more damage. Yeah. So you, and then you earn money so you can buy better weapons and you use this to go and fight bigger and scarier monsters, which then help you level up. And you kind of think, right, this is <laughs> what's, the, you- what's the point of this? And it's just like, it's the grind, but that's it. The grind is life. But see, you don't, that's, that, that's the, the point though, is you never question the point. No, I mean, that's why actually I have found playing, like in the case of both Pathfind and 5e, me and Brian played both of them with, with no GM, just as a, as yeah. a combat simulator. Because actually they have, a, they have a good combat loop. And actually if all you care about is combat, and I am a massive combat fan, um, then those games can be run very easily just for the joy of the combat systems. Uh, I think if you're trying to run it more as a proper role-playing game with other things going on, that then maybe kind of the combat gets in the way. But at least, unlike other games, at least when you get to a combat, the game doesn't just fall over. So Yeah, that's true. Um, but that's kind of the beauty of 2D20, isn't it? That the combat is really good and it has a good combat loop, but as well as that outside of combat, it's uh, it's cool and interesting as well. So Yeah. Well, so speaking about level-based systems, uh, you are just about to finish hopefully finish running and i ran several years ago the fifth edition um book curse of strahd so that's what we're going to talk about today um and i'm going to try to not gripe about it i'm gonna i'm not going to be that guy uh because there i i remember there there was good in it uh there was good in it and you've got it right there in front of you i no longer own it actually 
I, I had it, I ran it, and then I thought to myself, well, I'm never going to run that again. So I ended up selling it to somebody because I keep book, my books in good shape. Um, so let me ask you this. Why did you, why'd you choose this? Well, I think that this is because I think that Curse Strahd sitting alongside the other fifth edition uh, adventure books, campaign books, whatever you want to call them, especially the ones that had been published up to the point that Curse Strahd came out. It really sits as an outlier. It is not the same. I don't see it as the same kind of story as the other ones like. Uh, you know, what is it, Out of the Abyss or Princes of the Apocalypse, uh, things like that, even um, yeah. Tomb of Annihilation. Well, Why did you choose to I run it? I don't, have, I don't have that many of them. So I think the very first one that came out, the Dragon, Dragon Horde, whatever, the first one, the very first one when 5e came out, I bought that. There were two. I, I, didn't, I didn't run it, yeah. I never bought the second part. I bought the first part, and everyone said that the, uh, like, everyone said it wasn't very good. But I kind of bought it because, like, you know, that was the only books around I bought. I never ran it. And then as other ones came out, I didn't pick them up either because I realized very quickly that these weren't, these weren't, um, they weren't quite adventure paths. Although, again, the problem with adventure paths is they take like forever to run. Right. I think they're these the closest short, thing to them. Yeah. These weren't short, little adventures. And we've had this conversation previously, but these weren't short, little adventures you can just drop on your players and run. Like, I think I ran, um, what's the one that came in the starter box? The Lost Minds of Fandom. Fandover, yeah. So I, I ran that for, for my two players and another guy, which led to a TPK. Because <laughs> they, they went up against the green dragon and didn't run and die. Um, so I ran that. And then after that, when I decided to run something else, I actually took a, a Pathfinder adventure path. I took Rise of the Rune Lords and I ran that in 5e because everyone had said the first couple of books that had come out for 5e adventures weren't very good. So I took one that I thought would be better. And also I'd bought it and, and I ran that in 5e, which, and I found someone that had done all the conversions of everything online. Okay. Um, so we ran the whole, like, but just the first part. So literally the first, what would be the first, you know, book when they were, you know, six separate books. Um, and then the guy that was there, he left. And so we then didn't play for ages. And so it was a case of, I didn't, I don't have many of these. So I have Strahd because when I saw that, when it came out, I was like, yeah, I'm buying that because it's Ravenloft and Ravenloft's awesome. Okay. Um, and I bought Tomb of Annihilation because that had dinosaurs in it. And then I've picked up a couple of, like, you know, like the, the sort of the Ghost of Souls Marsh and Tales of the Yawning Portal, where you can run them as sort of one off. So you string them together to mostly to play. Like I've run one or two of the Salt Marsh ones with Mika and Annie. Um, but so the reason I got this one, the reason we ended up playing this one actually is because having the new, the critical role cartoon, Tales of Vox Machina, having come out in. Let's say January. I don't know. Maybe it was fair. The, earlier this year, that came out and all three of us had watched it and we were properly into like, yeah, D&D. Woo, let's play D&D. And the thing that made sense at the time, I said, right, well, the guy, that, the guy that's done all this critical role stuff, Matt Mercer, he's got, he's doing a proper adventure for fifth edition. He's doing this thing called, I've got it right in front of me, Call of the Netherdeep. This Call of the Netherdeep will be out really soon. And so we were going to play that. I think we were, whatever else we were playing, we were just going to finish off. We we're probably just playing some board games. And then Call of the Netherdeep got delayed for like two months. Mm -hmm. So then we realized, so then it was like, ah, well, we really wanted to play D&D &D and we couldn't play Call of the Netherdeep, which is what we really wanted to play. Um, so then it was pretty much a case of, right, well, let's see what else I've got. And the choice was basically, um, I mean, Wild Beyond, the, uh, the choice was Wild Beyond the Witchlight because I've got that at Christmas. Um, Tomb of Annihilation. Curse of Strad or Strixhaven. But Strixhaven I bought because it seemed adjacent to Harry Potter and I I planned to run that at some point for Miko and Annie. Okay. Having read that, it's not that much like Harry Potter, but it kind of is. Um, so it was actually the guys that it was their choice. I was like, you've got Curse of Strad, you've got this will the Wild Beyond the Witchlight, which is set in the like the Fae worlds, um, or Tomb of Annihilation. And they both went, yeah, Strad cool vampires raven laughed Woo. um and so that was it so there wasn't a huge amount of thought behind it it was mostly we chose that so i went away and uh, i read a chunk of the book uh and and we just decided yeah and we i said yeah well, i think we can do this and we just kind of uh we just went pretty much straight into it uh, i was lucky that i had a annie at some point had a cheerleading competition which is sort of eight hours of sitting in a in an, well, not an arena because it's got a roof, stadium, whatever place. It was a sports center thing. 
sitting in this place with she does what two two performances so we're there for sort of like eight hours and she does two performances which are less than five minutes each uh so i basically read the entirety the vast majority of curse of strad while i was uh yeah, surrounded by lots of cheer mums and the odd cheer dad and lots of cheerleader people. And I was sitting there reading this D&D book, yeah. um, which is quite funny. Yeah, uh, right. And I, yeah, but that was, that was kind of like, uh, and I read that. But I realized, and this is one of the things I guess we'll get onto, but I realized very quickly, actually most of it, the weird thing, I don't know how you want to, anyway, that's, that's why, that's the why. Next question. <laughs> huh. oh, I, I was going to say, I, I ran it because my group asked me to. Oh, and and I wasn't yeah, really wedded. I, I had, I remember Ravenloft coming out when I was, you know, back in the eighties. And I remember that. And, and I don't, it was just like in the background. It was never one. I've always liked horror. I've always liked classic, classic horror monsters, like vampires or werewolves and ghosts and junk like that. But for whatever reason, I, I had just never, not, neither never played it nor got it. Nor it was like, Oh yeah, there's that. Um, and, uh, and I liked the idea early on what 5e, what they were doing with it is, you know, they were taking some of these classic stories and updating them or taking inspiration from them or, or what have you. So I was like, okay, cool, I get it. Um, and it, and it, it immediately sounded like a different kind of campaign based on the reading, you know, my, my read of the description of it and some of the reviews. So I got it. And um and then I ran it pretty much, you know, I mean, straight through with a group of, um, I think I had four players at the time. Um, and that wasn't, that was within the, the first year that it was out. It had not been out for, for very long. So there was my, my simple reason. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that I ran it a lot later because I was able to go and look online and look for like, you know, problems or what things you should do to change it. Because there's one really obvious like there's one massive check. Well, not a change. There's one thing that I took from what I read online, which I then tweaked, sort of added to what was in the story. You know, That's I think, I mean, let me just say this. I think that we should not worry at all about spoilers. And if you're listening and you're one of like the, the last seven or eight people on the planet who are considering playing or running this thing after it's been out for all these years, who hasn't yet, the spoilers are going to start flowing now. So... <laughs> There we go. There's, to be honest, there's not too much to spoil. The thing's called Curse of Strut. I right, think yeah. the one thing that was different is that the guys were kind of expecting, and I mean, it's one of the issues with it, is that like the guy's the big baddie and you know who you're going to fight at the end of it. It's how you get there. Um, and one of the issues from reading it is that unless you deliberately do something different, you potentially don't meet Strahd until the, the players decide to kind of walk into Castle Ravenloft to kill it. Right. And one of the things I read very early on was, well, don't do that. Have Strahd appear and meet the players, have him turn up and talk to them. Uh, and so they can get to know him. And there is a point, there's this whole thing for like, where they can go and meet Strahd and they can have a, like a, because there's an invitation, there's an invitation to like dinner, but the book isn't very clear on how that's meant to be played. Is it meant to be at the end of the game when Strahd, you know, they're high enough level that Strahd invites them then with the intention of killing them. Um, or so I'd read someone online, like, no, what you should do is have him, have him meet them early on. So I did. Uh, and then at a certain point when they're still way too low level, have him invite them to a meal really just to show off, just to be like, I'm Strahd. I'm really hardcore. You can't touch me. Um, and I did part of the reason I, when I did that, I did it. They, there were some characters they knew and I used it to also introduce another character to make it clear to the players. This other character's a lie with Strahd. But every time they meet Strahd, Strahd is never like, he's never been like, he, they've never seen him hurt anyone. They've never seen him do anything particularly bad. It's all people, people say that he's bad and people don't like him. And then there's other people that do like him. So I've always tried to have it in my players back of their mind that maybe Strahd isn't that bad. Maybe actually, you know, like maybe not pushing it so far, like Strahd's the good guy, but I've always tried to make it out that Strahd's, you know, he, he's not, he could just be misunderstood. You know, it's bad PR. Um, <laughs> if only we just, if we just keep, we just need to adjust our message and then our horrible yeah. policies, everyone will start to like them. Is that what it is? Strahd yeah, has a bad PR firm. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, when the, the, the best one, so, and this is why, so when like kind of after the first, I'll, I'll come back to that. We need to explain how the yeah, curse let me, of Strahd actually, works let, and how let it's me, different. Let me, let me jump in with, with just a, 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 a quick 
overall or quick summary for those of you who haven't, you know, if you if you haven't read it or haven't run it, the the idea is that you know Strahd exists in this separate realm called Barovia, which is this little like pocket dimension. Yeah. That he, it seems to me, pretty much you end up in Barovia because you you make a wrong turn. You know, you, you should have made a left turn at Albuquerque or something like that. You, you make a wrong turn and you end up there. Or more likely, Strahd, for some reason or another, has has decided to draw you or someone like you into his realm to be his little toy, uh, like a cat, you know, chasing around a mouse and then finally <laughs> swatting it dead and devouring it. And so the players are drawn into Barovia after, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're drawn in, then, you know, they walk through these mists and suddenly they're there and it's this like dark, dreary, goth sort of, uh, you know, lots of buckles and leather and, and dark makeup and cure music playing quietly in the background. That's what Barovia is to me. Uh, and I remember at the beginning they ran into the, um, like the gypsy caravan and they have their, um, their fortune read, which I actually thought was a, an interesting, what was it? The Taroka deck. Yes. Which you can either of course buy from wizards of the coast, a Taroka deck, which will, you will use, you will use once unless <laughs> you run the game, unless you run the game for multiple parties and then you get some repeat use of those, or you could use a regular <laughs> deck of cards. But I thought that that was fascinating. That was an interesting spin on, or an interesting addition that you in game your characters have their fortunes read but in the real world at the table you use a deck of cards or your purchase deck of cards to conduct this like tarot like reading which then gives the character the players information that actually has value in game and it was the location of or an implication kind of riddle like of someone who will be able to help them mm -hmm. a weapon that will be able to help them and what was the other thing so there was three items there's the the sword the sun sword the sun sword the, to the tome of strad and right. the raven kind symbol something like that yeah and, and then there's, there's the person yeah, the the person who's going to help them, and then where where Strahd can be found in the right. castle, which still seems strange to me because it's like anywhere it's his flipping castle. Well, I you know what though? I I had thought of that too. Like, wait, so upon this being read, and this is I was being like Amelia Bedelia, like way too literal. Like, so upon you getting this deck read, like you know, Strahd's in the library. So Strahd's just sitting there twiddling his dead thumbs. No, it's just <laughs> I think the idea is like that is, when you when destiny eventually brings you to Castle Ravenloft, that is where you will find Strahd. Yeah. So that is kind of really the linchpin there. And actually, I'll come back to that to say kind of how I spun that. Um, so one of the cool things about it is it's, it's kind of a sandbox, but it's not. So essentially, right at the start, you start off in this little village of Barovan. There's not a lot there. And then mm -hmm. you, you meet these the, the, the Vistani who give yep. you the fortune telling. And from then on, there's kind of other stuff you go to. Now, the main thing to go is you follow the path, you get to a village called Valaki. But from there, that was a good like, place to then be like the first session we did like the initial thing we went to barovia and we did we met the we met the vistani and then they went to valaki and from there it was kind of like well you can go you can go up into the rivers or you can go and there's lots of different places now the thing is is all of these things are kind of leveled there's a handy guide in the front that kind of says look don't do these until certain levels but when they get to this village then they're kind of okay to do the stuff in the what, village town um and then it was a case of like drip feeding things to the players to do. Well, here's something you can do. And the players didn't have to. Like there was a thing where they were going to go off and go and find these hags, but they took a detour and found this girl at the river and they took her and that led to a whole nother encounter thing, which was fine. So although there was like, I was pointing them in direction of thing, they, they could go off and do other stuff. Um, and that's kind of how it goes. There's lots of different things which do get harder, but the players kind of can choose which levels to do things in. And the weird thing is you've got at the back of it that at some point they're going to go to Castle Ravenloft and meet Strahd, which really should be near the end. They can do it early. There's, the, there's nothing to stop them. If they want to just go at level four straight into Castle Ravenloft, um, they can. But they're going to get slaughtered. Yes. And, and this is where I, I think that this is an interesting uh, structure and series of, of, of options that the, the writers presented However, I think that there is a, I think it actually clashes a little bit with the, the call it like the standard play approach to D&D. Yeah. You know, let, let's face it, your, your typical D&D adventure is more literal, or not literal, sorry, more linear than not. Yes. Your typical site-based D&D uh, adventure is very linear. 
I mean, traditionally. Yeah. You, know, you move from room to room to room, and there are things you pick up from to A to B to C. Uh, and that the the levels, I mean, I remember in basic, you know, first edition, what we call now, you know, the, the level of the dungeon, the idea of leveling your character was tied to the levels of the dungeon <laughs> as, as a way to, like, conceptualize the deeper you yeah. go, the worse it gets, the tougher you have to be. And I think that there is a, there's a very strong, unexamined mindset with most D&D dungeon or dungeon adventure design and also play approach. So GM or DM rather and player that as you move forward, there's going to be a sequence that I move through. And as I move through it, each encounter overall, there may be a step back here. There may be like a little walkover encounter here and there, but overall the, the arc of difficulty of encounters will grow at a, at a, at a generally steady rate from start to finish. Like if this was an X, you know, a line graph, not a line, you know, like a line graph, line graph. Yeah. It would, whoop, it would get, it would get harder <laughs> as time passes. And I think that that is an unexamined norm that people, most D and D players, that's what they, they default to. And so the, the idea of a sandbox in a relatively small region where like if you go left and you go to the windmill with the hags and you're first or second level and you engage them like your typical murder hobo D&D player does, you're going to die. Your yeah. whole party is going to die and it's going to be entirely your fault. Um, I think that, that that's, that is a, I think if you haven't run this thing, the first thing you need to do is, as DM is get your head around the fact that it's 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 really is way more sandboxy than most D&D adventures. And you yeah. have to impress that upon your, your players. And you have to also impress upon them or, or think of some way that you're going to provide them with some kind of tell that doesn't that's that. And that's challenging. Like, how do I let my players know uh, you feel a dark sense of uh, existential foreboding in relation to this uh, this windmill? You roll the perception DC 10. You feel if you walk in there, you're going to die horribly and quickly and ineffectually. That's what's going to happen to you. But how do you do that without spoiling the story? And, and also the, the trouble with, I mean, you're, a horror story needs to be tense and suspenseful. And gothic horror needs to have this, this kind of like pervasive vibe of, of of like a low level but but ever present like creeping threat and you're being watched how do you convey that in a game that the 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 the, the tides of the norms if you want to call it that mm. are pulling you in one direction how do you get your players to recognize the the reality of what they their characters might run into without bluntly just telling them which kind of undercuts the your your attempt to establish a vibe at the yeah. table I mean, I think and the initial things we like when we started in Barovia, that was all fine. And we added like a good thing to it. And then the second session where we were in the lackey and eventually they did head off to these hags. And that was a hard, that was like a properly difficult fight, but they did it. But I think the more we went through it, it did became more of a, well, actually, if you kind of do this at this level, like, well, then I did this session, we only had a small time. And so the, the, I'll add these two things down, then I'll kind of go into how I did it the two main piece of advice I got from the internet, like one was have Strad appear at other things. Like I said, I had this thing where they met him really literally in Barovia when they're meant to be meeting this, this, the, the I know the Burgermeister's kids and the Burgermeister's died and the, the brother wants to take the sister to the next right. town. And I had Strad appear at that point and say, give me the girl. And they're like, well, no. And he's like, well, you know, why not? You don't know me. And that was the first time they met him. And, you know, he turned up, he asked, they said, no, he left. You know, he didn't, he did charm one of them, but he didn't, he didn't use any violence. He didn't, you know, he could, he could have just steamrolled the whole lot, taken the girl and run away. But I had them in a church and said that he couldn't go in, which I don't know whether that was a thing or not, but it, you know, it made sense for the story. They happened to be in at the church at the point he appeared and he couldn't enter. Um, and so he didn't have to, you know, he didn't go all crazy, violent and destroy everyone. Um, and he was super polite about it. And like I said, later on, then at one point when they were in Valak, I had them invited to the thing. And they had this meal with the the, the guy that ran Valaki, um, who at that point, you know, the players already decided this guy's a nutter. This guy's running a feast, a festival like every couple of days. Yeah. And everyone in the town hates him. And that was where, again, I was trying to push this idea that, well, like, you know, 
This guy says he's anti-Strub. This guy is putting people in the stocks because they're speaking out against him. Right. And, and you know, so this guy's bad. This guy's running a dictatorship in this village and he is punishing people because they don't like the way he runs things. Well, doesn't that make him worse than Strahd who, you know, they've not seen Strahd do anything bad. Yeah, need anybody want... yet. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so trying to put that kind of thing to make them sort of think, huh, and second guess things and, uh, and stuff like that. But the other thing I did is that I'd, I'd read that one of the problems with having all of these random things is that you could accidentally, just by doing the tarot reading properly, have all of the three items appear in things in the first, like the first area. Well, and here's something. Let me let me jump in. That I, I had to. I I made some changes after that reading took place. You know, early on in the in the in the game it takes place. We read it. The uh, I don't remember exactly where all the items were, but most of them made no sense at all to me, story wise. And one of them, uh, the sun sword was like deep inside Strahd's castle. Well, how are they ever going to get the thing to defeat the guy if they'd had to defeat the guy to get the thing? Now, maybe depending, you know, maybe I could have made sense of that. But yeah, yeah, I, I that was an issue. Yeah. So what I did, because I'd read this online, is that I did the reading for real. I flipped off three cards and I, re- I you know, the, but then what I did is I changed what they meant. So I, I had already okay. predetermined where those three cards were. So then when I flipped off the, you know, the, the seven of coins or whatever it is, I then read the description. The, I read the riddle for the thing I wanted to wear it to be. So I'd already decided, you know, so sorry to the suspension disbelief guys, if you've uh, held on that. I think what I did keep properly random was who the ally was going to be and who the, and where he was because to me those didn't matter they like they were just a th- sure they weren't as important they could be anything um but the three items i deliberately sort of spaced out so the, the first item was in valaki but they didn't get that until the third session of being there but then the next item they got like a week ago and the most recent item they will go to because they worked it out they've heard of the amber temple and the, the clue for it is it's got the word amber in it so they know the sword is in the amber temple um but it's the kind of thing where I kind of just had to say it because you were saying this earlier. Um, how do you make sure the players don't go to things? And I eventually had to kind of look like, guys, we can't. You just there's some of these things you're just going to have to do in a kind of order, which is a bit. And they just accepted that, which kind of it kind of made it not as like cool and spooky as it was at the start, but it also just made it more playable. And we just kind of right. Well, yeah. if we do it in this order, because it was kind of starting to think right. Well, we've been playing this for a while. When we decided to play this, we thought we'd play it for two months, and we'd you know we'd be got through it quickly and be done but now it's been like four months and we're like i wouldn't mind starting to play something else now so well it's not that you have it's not that you've been playing it for that long straight it's just you've had so many interruptions but i get what you're saying two two things that i just thought of with it is it first off i love the fact that there are so many people through like dms guild and just their own sites have put out feedback and suggestions for how to run these different um adventures well yeah i mean i had considered about a year and a half ago and i've still toyed with it the idea of running um tomb of annihilation but in eberron and there are some pretty significant changes unless you want to ignore a lot of things i think that you have to make if you're going to move it into eberron and not just where it's going to be but what's nice is that there are so many people who are either just giving away their ideas or you know selling short pdfs for you know a, a pittance that really help tremendously and so if you haven't run this or you're considering running some of the other ones you know you don't have to go it alone go go looking uh back to this whole, the whole idea of the linear movement versus the the pure sandbox and the the fact that i like that barovia is a sandbox this adventure is a sandbox but the the sandbox because of the leveled system offers very clear like it fights back against you because yeah. again if you go to the wrong place then you're you're screwed um i think one of the things well, i there was a, a challenge that i had now i did not have because i none of these none of these like resources free or otherwise existed when i ran it i remember there was virtually nothing out there because it was it was new and people were running it for the first time yeah. hadn't had time for it to really sink in 
I only had Strahd appear once or twice and never like in their face, like, hey, I'm Strahd, what's up? You're in my realm kind of thing. <laughs> or who's that mystery man that everyone stays away from? And, you know, I wonder who, I never, I had him appear, um, he tracked them with animals and then, and then uh, initially, I remember one of the times they were, they were on the road traveling between villages and I had like wolves kind of shadowing them. And then, you know, the creepy red eyes in the woods. And what did my players do? Stormed off into the woods to try to kill the thing. <laughs> like, like your typical D&D player would do. Uh, like the, mur- the murder hobo sees the thing it perceives as a threat and it runs after it and tries to smash it like a bug. And so they saw these red eyes were being followed. Let's kill the wolves and kill the thing with the red eyes. And so from that, I draw this piece of advice relation to this adventure is you really got to impress upon your players that they, they, they shouldn't, if they want to get the most out of this, they shouldn't they shouldn't act like your typical D&D players and try to kill everything they, they come across. And also, I really think that this adventure, maybe even um, above the other 5e ones that I've run, requires attentive players who pay attention to clues as people, not just, well, I rolled it so I get it. You know what I mean? Like they, they're not yeah. depending on the, the game side of their character to provide them with the answers. They're listening and they're watching. And so when you describe, for example, the windmill with the hags in it is this really creepy looking like there are no bugs, there are no birds. There's, you know what I mean? You give them tells through your description of the thing. They're like, this is really foreboding. There's something that they as players will go, uh, okay, I'm going to pick that up as a story tell that's informing me that this is this is not just like you know your typical little goblin cave that I can go storming into i think that inattentive call them less than thoughtful players um will will create unfun challenges for the gm of this or will just end up with a tpk and then they're then they get grumpy cuz heaven forbid your character actually gets killed killed in 5e yeah we actually almost lost a player this this week because uh well we had we had two really bonkers encounters like the first car was fine like the first session they i don't think there was barely any combat they might have fought some wolves but they were pretty like edgy about well this is going to be dodgy we're gonna you know we're gonna struggle um and then we went through a whole almost a whole session in valaki where i think we did have the hags in one but most of we played through two sessions where there was basically no combat at all um and that was quite good, but they were still, I think we did some milestone leveling, so we still level, and they'd found, eventually found the, whatever the, whatever item was in Valaki, they'd found that. So then when they eventually headed out to do this, this thing where the, like the, the Wizards of Wine's winery, but mm-hmm. even then, they, they were all, they were still, but like when I told them to go to, when they got the letter to go to Strahd's Castle, they didn't want to go, and I was like, you know, go on, go on, go on. And they were like, well, they don't want to, because they thought they were just going to get wrecked. And I was like, I'm not going to kill you in the middle of the thing. Um, but yeah, the Wizards of Wine Wine, and they turn up there and they get absolutely surrounded by all of these little creatures. And straight away, they go, well, these numbers are silly. We're not fighting these. And they did have to go and try and do it another way. But uh, then there was this properly bonkers fight just after that, where they, they get ambushed by a bunch of these druids and berserkers. And I just played it with the numbers that it said, not realizing like how over the top the berserkers were. And it was like, mm-hmm. There was a lot of yeah, they they survived that combat, but it was a case of the the cleric was just burning his healing spells, and the cleric and the paladin are just sitting there trying to tank as many hits as possible, uh, and they just survived that. And then this most recent session, they came up upon three revenants, and I'm trying to think what happened. Oh, they came up against these three revenants, and it became very very clear very quickly that there was no way they could fight them because the revenants were doing like two attacks. They were just in this room, in this place they'd gone to. And when they got there, up until this point, like every other combat, they've had some close combats, but they've still been able to win them. Um, and these revenants had like re- regenerating 10 hit points around yeah. and had like 120 health. And when they, they did two attacks and each attack, like 2d10. And so like Brian got hit once and it was like half his health gone on his paladin. And we were just kind of like, ugh. Yeah. I was like, guys, you know, you're going to have to think. And they were like, yeah, we're just, we're just running. They didn't even think twice about it. They were Although, like, we cannot win this. We are running. 
I and think I just have to that. Like it. I, I look. I honestly, I think a party of players who look at a situation in five E and say, "Okay, our best, our best approach is to withdraw." Like that right there is a thoughtful player because that goes against the norm of yeah. once engaged, you kill everything. I mean, how you want to you as a, as a DM of five E, you want to surprise your players? Have the baddies, uh, have the bad guy, have the goblins disengage. <laughs> have the hobgoblins be smart enough to, to to lay down some covering fire and withdraw. I'm like, wait, 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 wait! I thought the bad guys always fought to the death. No, they're not stupid. <laughs> so that's good. Yeah, I, I, um, I found that I was I made the mistake, and I know you and I have you and I talked about this in our episode about prepared versus um, like homebrew adventures and the challenges and advantages in both. I made the mistake of not reading the whole book the whole way through and taking notes on it. Like I made the mistake of not familiarizing myself with the the, the options and potential course of Curse of Strahd. Um, I read the beginning of it. I scanned through the major sections. So I had an idea as to, as to what was there, but I did not have a clear enough idea of how things connected, how they conflicted, and how you might proceed. Hmm. And so that was a big challenge that I had. The other challenge, and I, I don't have an answer for this other than, than I actually, I don't, have, I don't have a single answer that I'd say, do this. I had a, I found it to be really burdensome and at the end of the day, impossible for me to maintain what I thought was the proper like gothic horror vibe yeah, totally and kind of like in the background you know like and, and with me rereading dracula albeit the unredacted version of it right now the 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 gothic horror that victorian era horror vibe is very different from like contemporary horror like there's there's a creepiness in the background there's something that nags at you and you don't realize it's there until like you know odd things happen and and in your subconscious it's like it just builds up over time that something's not right and then maybe some piece of evidence is just thrown in your face and and suddenly you have this realization like when Jonathan Harker he things are just getting stranger and stranger and he's feeling like this is not right this is not right and then he sees Dracula climbing like a bug down the outside of the wall of the castle and it's just like the 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 dam almost breaks emotionally on him as he's like oh Oh, good. Like every, like my most primal fears that I as civilized man have been avoiding all of them. That's all I've got right now. Trying to, trying to establish that, get my players to accept it and then maintain it over time was so hard. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, the first, like the, the first session in Barovia when it was new and everything was creepy and dark that was good. And then like meeting the Vistani, the first place in Valaki with like, what's this mm -hmm. festival? Why are these people in the stocks? Why is the weather always so bad? Meeting Strad and like, he's kind of borderline threatened. He's just going to eat someone, but doesn't. That was all creepy. Then when I think where it went wrong for me is that partly we'd had all these gaps. So that hadn't helped. True. We had all these big gaps. But then there was this thing at the second festival where I kind of pushed them. They were actually just going to step back and let it happen and let someone like this guy who had spoken out be uh, tortured or put in the stocks or killed or whatever. And I kind of like pushed them into this big hero moment. And that literally turned into the entire town guard of that town fighting them. Uh, and they killed them, the whole lot, just the whole lot of the guards. Oh, actually, then I had some runway because, again, they're just they're lowly paid guards. They just yeah. legged it. Um, and then the villagers uh, overthrew the, uh, the Bergamite or whatever which was cool, but then it kind of, that was partly my fault, but also then it flip-flopped it from being the, that everything's dark and, ugh, and everything's against you to, oh, actually, we can, we can go to town on people now and, yeah. and we'll do it. Um, and, you know, I was lucky last week that they actually came up against one combat where they had to run and then another one later when they were trying to break into, it's Baba Yaga, but they changed her name. And she's not, you know, Baba Yaga's hut isn't on chicken leg, it's on roots, but it's Baba Yaga's dancing hut. Um, and they worked out how to get her out of her hut for one of the players, for, for Scott's character to go in 
and try and get this thing, which was funny because it wasn't even something they needed to do. It wasn't a part of like the main quest line. It was literally like this dude somewhere else had said like, oh, we've only got one magic gem. But if you can get to the other magic gem, that would be really helpful. And they were like, yeah, we'll do that. We're like hardcore hero people now. Um, and so they did, but he fluffed this role to get the thing. Then the hut comes to life. And when he tries to run out of the hut, like the hut hits him. And I think I critted and basically took him to like minus 20, which you can't do. Yeah. And then it, the other characters were sort of fu- something stupid, like 10 rounds away, because that was how far they were away to lure Baba Yaga out. We kind of realized, right, so he's got no healing coming. Scott is going to have to pass these three health saves or he just dies. Yeah. <laughs> and, they, and, uh, and he was lucky. I think he liked one of those things where he rolls one success. And then one fail, and you're like, oh, he's only, you know, he's two rolls less than a 10 here from just dying, and I can't do anything to save him. Um, and then he luckily he rolled the next two and he came, he survived, he stabilized. Um, and then it was all okay. But yeah, that was, you know, he was two rolls away from his PC being dead. Yeah. And it was like, mm. yeah, having, so it cool. I, it's tough because I think when you, you have to punctuate stories. You know, there has to be, there's got to be some, you know, investigation and intrigue, social interactions, combat, um, other risky non-combat situations. A variety of those things obviously make a game interesting. It's, but it's really hard, I think, to maintain. It's easier to maintain a sense of foreboding and creepiness that gnaws at you when you are reading a book yeah. than when you are playing a game. Because I think there's a natural, like when we feel that sense of ill at ease and, and foreboding, what do you want to do? Do you want to stew in it? No, damn it. You want to do something about it. And when you're the player and you have a character, you have this avatar in this made up world to do something with. And yeah. so if you feel like some creepy's going on, hey, look, there's red eyes glowing out. I want to go kill the, I want to cut the red eyes in half. I think that's the, the natural reaction in us as people is that we're going to try to fix the situation. We're going to try to, we're going to try to reestablish a sense of like at least neutral or good feeling, preferably. If you're feeling like oppressed, by this creepiness you don't just sit and stew in it but the but the trouble with that especially with a campaign that's drawn out as long as and as many levels as Strahd is to get the most out of it i think feel wise and maybe i take this too seriously probably is you have to maintain that and so there's always got to be this sense of threat i think your idea of having Strahd appear not as like a a pair of eyes or a smoky cloud or the implication that he's watching you. I think in addition to those things, you have to have the guy appear sometimes and demonstrate that he can't be touched, or at least he's so arrogant that he believes that he can't be touched. And unless you're really ready to go after him, he can't be. I think that would go a ways to keeping the balloon of tension inflated just having the balloon there it's going to lose pressure over time that was a problem that i had like i was dissatisfied by about halfway to two-thirds the way through our run of it because i just felt like my players had given up on accepting the the truth of the story that it's creepy and it's dark and it's foreboding and it's oppressive and i had a really hard time blowing air into that balloon i think with any kind of horror thing like this, the, the problem you're going to have is, is if the players keep winning. Well, so if yeah. you think of any kind of, you know, a horror series or a horror film like this, one of the problems you've got is that if the good guys keep overcoming the dark, eventually it, dark. Well, the dark's not scary anymore. Yeah. You know, because they always win. And kind of what you want is to actually, you want to kill some PCs. Yeah. I mean, actually part of the reason I had I took sort of like, right, there's only two PCs, so I will make a PC myself and you can have a backup PC. Is that my mind is like, at some point, I just need to kill off this, this cleric just to show you know, how deadly things can be. Um, and it kind of didn't happen. A lot of the early fights, they, they kind of just steamrolled their characters through because the, the, un- unfortunately, between the, the cleric, well, the cleric is useless. If he gets, anytime the cleric is in combat, it's like his AC was garbage and he had a flail or something. He was terrible. He could basically heal. He sits there and he heals. 
But Brian's like created a relatively well-optimized paladin with like a glaive and the feet that if someone walks up to you, stop them and they lose their thing. And okay. I made I made Scott this aberrant mind sorcerer with Eldritch Blast so he can do four Eldritch Blasts a turn. And, you know, my, I have a rogue that does insane, you know, so I, we made these crazily over-optimized characters, which didn't really go with the kind of, you should have really rubbishy characters doing Ravenloft. Um, so yeah, that was that was a flaw right at the start that the, the characters are too good for a setting where actually they need to be a bit rubbish. Um, uh, on the flip side, they did make you know they had a lot of turn undead and they've actually fought very very little undead, which is kind of weird. But I think it is it's very hard to have a kind of a like you said this idea is dark and foreboding. You can start with that, but at some point the heroes are going to have killed these guys and killed this thing and done this thing and collected this item, and at some point. Unless you have Strahd turn up and just smack them down to go, well, you might think you're all that, but Strahd's still number one in this place. Yeah. Um, I think it's really difficult to do that. And I think actually that would go to other, you know, there's a reason why everyone, like I've never really played it, but everyone always talks about Call of Cthulhu, yep. you know, players going mad and stuff. Because actually, if the players keep always stopping the rituals and stopping the bad guy and doing this, then there's no threat. Right. And so actually, it's not you know the leveling makes this worse because as you level up you can beat all the rubbishy creatures but you know 5e is not so bad for that compared to you say pathfinder but in any kind of thing where it's meant to be scary and dark if you keep beating the scary bad dark bad guy thing not that scary it's not scary anymore no um no that, that's and i think that's although call of cthulhu like traditional chaosium call of cthulhu if you're a player who wants action that's not your game yeah you will be bored to tears yeah if you want a character that is that is exceptional uh chances are you will not be satisfied <clears throat> with that game because that's not the conceit the conceit of love of traditional lovecraftian horror is that you know Maybe you have some kind of knowledge or expertise, but it's not nearly as great as you think it is. In fact, that's what's going to get you into trouble. You're, you know, the, 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 the implication that it's your stupid human arrogance in thinking that you have this knowledge that drives the, the, the protagonist to, to read the creepy book and then his brain melts. Is it rests on certain assumptions about the, the capacity of the, the character. D&D, on the other hand, rests on the assumption that not only will you start off with your character being pretty good, but you're going to get better and better and better. Yeah. And, and I think that, that in a way, I, I tip my hat to Watsi for taking on the challenge of, of revisiting Strahd and expanding it. I mean, the original, what was it? Um, the original Castle Ravenloft was a 32-page yeah, adventure. Now, it... It does have the reputation for having been a very different kind of adventure than any of the others that were out at that time. So again, hat tip to TSR for for doing that. Um, but I think that the, the, you've really got to have the right players who who are attentive, detail oriented, not reliant only on their character and the gamey sides of things to provide them with the information they need, but but they need to be paying enough attention that they um, that they pick up things, they pick up clues, and they also pick up. I should visit that later, or yeah. I'm going to come back to that. You know, yeah. not again. There's that 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 assumption, that unexamined assumption. There's my word for this episode, unexamined. That I move linearly. It's like a. It's like an. I move from one to the next to the next, and there isn't like a a, a network of deviations and cycling back. Like I see that. Like the idea you think in a dungeon, like you clear the room sequentially. Yeah. This story doesn't operate like that. And how do you communicate that and have players who accept that without you coming out and say, stop, don't go there. And then that kind of ruins the vibe. It's, it's what I was worried about happening when I started running something like this. But initially I was like, we seemed to have a good run of play that we were going to be able to play a bunch of it. And by the time I got bored of it, we'd have got to the end. The problem this time is because it's been so strung out. Well, yeah. It, like, it's, it's made it, like, but... Um, I mean, the one thing I am happy about is the fact that we have managed to play through a good chunk of it. I mean, like, we haven't finished yet. We've still got to do this, probably do the Amber Temple, and then we'll see how long Castle Ravenloft itself takes us. Because Castle Ravenloft is huge. Yes, it is. 
you know, it's how long do you need to go through? I mean, we did have a kind of like you said earlier about the sun sword being in a particular place. We had this funny thing. They get to this particular place where was it Argenvost Holt, where there's a whole bunch of revenants there. And the only way to really snap them out of it or break the curse is to find this silver dragon skull and bring it back to the place and like yeah. cast some spell or something. But the the skull is in Castle Ravenloft. Yeah. And it's not exactly in an easy to get to place. Yeah. And no one's going to tell you it's there. So kind of the only reason you're going to go in, I mean, you're not going to sneak in. They know it's in Castle Ravenloft, but they're not going to go sneaking through Castle Ravenloft to try and find this thing, to then take it back to the other place, to then break this sort of minor curse. No, it, it, it seemed that there, so were some, there were some places where multiple visits to the castle seemed necessary. Yes. Which to me, one seems very anti D and D, and I don't mean anti D and D like, oh, you're not supposed to do that. I mean anti D and D like people aren't going to think like that. Yeah. You know, I um, <laughs> I, I, I'll tell you this, and I know that you're gonna. You, you said you're pretty close to you believe wrapping this up, but uh, we hit a point after the Amber Temple, and after they'd hit the towns. We'd been through the major sites. We'd hit yeah. the major ideas. And I was, we'd been playing it for a couple of months, like weekly, I think maybe yeah. two or three, three, four months, something like that. We'd, you know, we'd really, they'd walked, they'd put a lot of footprints in Barovia. <laughs> and the, I kept returning to the book and really struggling as a DM who, again, was probably taking it way too seriously to try to have this certain vibe that my players were just not having any of in terms of this like creepy gothic like they just weren't afraid of anything yeah and they just kept like running headlong into things and i decided against i didn't cheat to prevent tpks um but uh but they were smart and they, the, the few times that they withdrew from things like at the windmill uh they they were able to to get away but they didn't really engage with the story very much they just kind of like they they treated it like okay i'm going to go to this encounter i'm going to kill everything there i'm going to take stuff and then move to the next they just they that's, that's how they treated it and so i got to the point where finally i said insert expletive here it and i said i'm just going to accept their approach that's how we're going to finish this story so when they finally went to castle ravenloft okay they had found information. They believed they by the the the, the Taroka card that we drew is that Strahd was in his tomb. Okay, sure. So they busted into Castle Ravenloft, smashed their way through like the top deck, basically made their way, and this was like full on '80s action movie. They made their way to the back of the castle. And if I'm remembering the, the map correctly, they they basically rappelled down the back of the castle and smashed into the tomb and skipped everything in between. And that was not me encouraging them. That was my party of players. They're like, F it. We're like, you know what? Like Napoleon, you set out to take Vienna, you take Vienna. You don't fart around elsewhere else. You go to freaking Vienna. Uh, we can talk about Napoleon some other day. But, uh, but, but that's what they did. They, they skipped the entire castle. They smashed in through his tomb like some kind of, uh, you know, cop smashing through your window because you did so whatever. I mean, they just and they had their giant fight down with Strahd in his tomb, you know, and they had come up with all these min maxed optimized approaches to how to get rid of the guy. Um, so it didn't like they they killed him in scare quotes, whether or not Strahd stayed dead or not is immaterial because the yeah. campaign ended. But um, yeah, I I. I found, I found myself chafing against what I thought were the proper demands of the story and my, my players not really picking up and accepting like, you know, it's like the person who goes to a library and speaks loudly and it's just utterly clueless that like, dude, it's a library. You're supposed to shut up. Yeah, I think I... You know I like the person you, you you have to take them aside and be like, it's a library. <laughs> You're not supposed to do that. And they're like, huh? What? I don't yeah, get it. Yeah, that's kind of... I mean, partly for mine, it's mean that I've kind of like pushed it close to the end because we kind of, you know, it was meant to be, yes, we were going to play through it all. And, to, you know, we we will have played through chunks of it. There's little bits like we didn't find Van Richt and whatever his name's tower because they just didn't go there and there was no clues to it. Um, it was yeah. really good at the start when they were in Valak and there was different things and they were trying to work things out and they got really obsessed with what was in 
Van Richten's uh, what, what was in his caravan, you know, which they never actually found. They, and they're now they're forgotten because weeks afterwards, they'll have just forgotten that was ever a thing. Um, but yeah. yeah, after you kind of decide, you kind of, when you've done most of the stuff in Valaki, which they had, and you move on, then kind of there is a bit like, well, you go to the winery and you kill everything there. And you go to the 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 the, the tower, well, not the tower. You go to the big hill with the the druids, and you kill them. And you go to yes. Baba Yaga's village, and you do them. And they've done Argenvost Holt now. So the next one is kind of there's Amber Temple. Now there are other things. Yeah, there's a werewolf den, and then there's the Van. Rick, but there's kind of little places left on the map which they haven't been to. But really now it is, and we kind of worked this out a while back. Well, it'll be it'll be Amber Temple in the finish. I mean, actually, I'm glad that they got a clue to Argenvost Holt because. There's no obvious reason to go there unless they luckily, and it was literally like rolling a random encounter and then rolling a 20 on the random encounter or something to have the meter revenant who says, oh, well, I'm from this place and this is the deal and I want to help you, but I can't. And he then walks off into the thing. And yeah. that was really cool. But that meant that they went, but again, it is like, oh, like you find a clue to this place. Now, luckily they were the right, well, they were kind of the right level. They actually had to run away from almost every combat encounter in that place until they got to the talking encounters at the end. But it still was sort of very much case of, right, we've been to this place done, we've been to this place done, which is the downside of it. Yes, it's sandbox in terms, you could do it in any order and there's other things going on, but in a location-based thing, I mean, it made it easier to read it. You go to location, here's what happened to this location. And each location does have these cool things. That, here's other stuff that can happen. But I think kind of yeah. once you left the lackey, it was very much, well, if you go to this place, you know, the, the three villages are fine. There's stuff there to do and talk to and things that can happen. But all the others are always places you turn up to and you fight there, what's there, or solve the problem there. And then you leave and you do not need to go back because maybe there isn't really a need to. You know, they've gone to Baba Yaga's hut and they've got what's there. They've left. I mean, I could have Baba Yaga. She's not called Baba Yaga. You could have Baba Yaga come back and, uh, and you know, come after them and show up and cause them trouble. But yeah. Um, but as the whole, I, I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed doing it, but I'm, I'm ready for it to end now. But that's partly because if we hadn't had all these interruptions, we would have gone through it by now. Um, right. I, you know, I would like to play something else. You know, I think that if you, I think it, I find it difficult anytime that you have, you have in your mind an idea of how long in real time, how many sessions a given story is going to take and then that gets that gets messed up and and there you know you you get these block these gaps wedged into it that always messes with me i'll put this last piece out about curse of strahd i again i i think that i i hat tip to watsi for for doing something that is very different from what else they've got out there and asks really for a different kind of play style i i, I give them credit for that i actually think and I'm not a fan of, I, I get bored as a player with, with stories that are almost exclusively investigation. Yeah. Like if you want to be like really traditional, hardcore Call of Cthulhu, and I'm not a fan of that system, but where 90 plus percent of the story is creeping around and investigating things, if you dig that, that's great. I don't. I get bored by that. However... I do. I mean, there needs to be some action or some, some, some tension, you know, by anyway, not necessarily fighting, but I would be interested to see how this would work. If you got some call of Cthulhu players or people who like that kind of approach and you had them play it using that system, <laughs> because I think it would work better. I think that this might even work better. I don't think it, I don't know if it would work better with gumshoe, Trail of Cthulhu because you would learn too much. Like you would, oh, I just, I understand that. You know, I mean, I think, I guess it would be the, the, you'd, would you be running this as a fantasy adventure with swords and axes and elves and crap like that, but using the basic role playing system? Uh, I actually think that though, the, the, the Call of Cthulhu with investigation heavy, you are closer to, normal people and you can go crazy yeah fear actually affects you i think that might work better with this if this idea of a story and you know what you could do you could run this like victorian era yeah this could be like a, a version of dracula 
where you have people with, you know, steamer trunks and, and, and things like that. And, you know, it's late 19th, early 20th century. Um, I think you could run it with characters like that using the, the call of Cthulhu system and it might function better. And if you had those kinds of players. Yeah. And like I, I, I've definitely found it's, it started better than it's moved on to it. It starts mm -hmm. as much more of a, there was less combat and then it moves into kind of go to location, clear out the monsters or, yep. or at least find what's there and kind of leave stuff. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's, I, I've enjoyed it and it'll be cool to actually say I've actually played one of these big fight, you know, five e-books. And then, at, you know, at yeah. some point we'll probably run one of the other ones I got because we've enjoyed this one. Um, but yeah, I do think it's, it, it is, it's very hard to kind of maintain the atmosphere it's going for. And they do give you good hints in it, but I think those hints work better at the start. Um, I was a part of the problem I had is that I, I was familiar with a lot of stuff in the book when I read it and then all my gaps, man, I'd forgotten a bunch of the things, but um yeah it's my usual thing i've like i've played this long enough and i it's time to move on <laughs> yeah i agree well you know what and I, again I, I think that one of the nice things about like a horror game is running it yeah you could have a campaign with the same characters but running like a modern horror game like all along the lines of like the supernatural tv show keeping it keeping the individual stories episodic yeah. i think it's easier to keep the right vibe that way rather than same story drawn out over a really long period of time and then especially when you have gaps yeah. in it like you've had that just complicates keeping that that feel going. the thing i still find so like supernatural fresh. is that they still every episode they win i think what you have to have there is you have to introduce npcs that come along and they get yeah. killed and you kill them left right and center i mean the other thing i'd like to do is like i still like ravenloft as set and i think it's cool but i think it would work better as having right you make new PCs and you have a short while. Like, this is the, this is the weird, creepy setting for this one. Cause the, like the Ravenloft book that they, like the old box, that was great. It had all these cool different things in it. And the newer book yeah. has got a similar thing. Here's a bunch of different little mini Ravenloft domains that you can go and play in. Um, and it'd be cool to actually go, right. Every time we run one of these, we're going to start with some new PCs and and kill some and then you're always stuck with that downside of well the players don't get attached to those pcs so when they die they don't really care which is the downside of doing that but on the plus yeah. side if you know the players know that they they have run a very good risk of their of their characters dying because it's it's a one shot of course then it means maybe they do stupid stuff because they don't care if they die so but again that that could work, but that still demands a very different play style than the typical D&D &D, yeah. where you wed yourself to a character with the, the Im implied guarantee that that character is going to become Superman with a sword eventually. Yeah. The idea that the character, yeah, no, no, you're, you're part of a, you as a player are part of a story that you will interact with through diff likely through different characters because they're going to get yeah. whacked is that again requires a different approach i think still you can actually because when i played when i played the alien the last alien we played the colonial well whatever the one was where they they're all players clones they picked the characters they wanted to start with and they've got quite attached to them and then of course it's aliens so second session they all died yeah. um we didn't it's, it's meant to be a three it was meant to have three stages to it and they didn't finish stage two <laughs> You know what, oh, though, I that I think when you go into that game with the everyone's got to be around him like, OK, it's aliens. A lot of us are going to die horribly like that actually becomes part of the fun and the interest of it, because that's a piece of it. I think maybe if you establish that from the front end. Yeah, with Strahd that look, some of you may die horribly. I think it's, it's probably you're it's going awkward to. when it's meant to be like a long adventure or a campaign type thing because right if their players then how die, do you plug in the yeah, replacement well, does someone else just happens to turn up in barovia and have all the same knowledge so right you, it messed things up well, if you what, kill what, the players did, and if you don't kill the players had, it's boring so it's you like, can't kill your players that's that's <laughs> criminal um that's 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 not good you have to kill the characters not the players i don't know what you folks do in england <laughs> I don't know what you Welsh people do, but we don't kill our players over yeah, here. PC, uh, sorry. So I uh, actually we did have a, a character mm. die and replace that character with the brother of the girl yeah, in yeah. whatever the town was, and so that we fudged him a little bit so that he fit, and then I was able to actually feed some information that helped me. But you're right, especially given how what what like a a closed vessel 
Barovia is, how do you all of a sudden have a fifth level character just like pop up out of the the, the loam and he's there? You know, yeah. that 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 stretches. There's a point where like this is all made up crap anyway, but there's still a point where like you can stretch the made up to the point where it just gets stupid. Yeah, yeah the, you know, the suspension of disbelief only goes so far. And having Correct. another party member turn up that happens to be the right level is uh, just pop right out yeah. of a, out of a, out of like a, a a faded rose to fit the gothic okay. backdrop. All right. You need to go have tea or dinner yeah, or something like yeah. that, don't you? Well, then we covered that. Which one? Uh, depends what I would call. It. Yeah, both of those work. I we usually call it tea, but yeah, dinner would technically be correct. Can dinner be lunch? Thank you so much for listening. You can visit our show's homepage at anchor.fm slash fluff and crunch. That's F-L-U-F-F-N-C-R-U-N-C-H. We would really appreciate feedback and reviews on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to this on. Thanks so much.